So, uh, continuing on with the Satipatthana Sutta, uh, we're now at the uh, second foundation of mindfulness after completing the first foundation of mindfulness yesterday, looking at the um, the charnak ground contemplations. Did anyone have bad dreams? <laughs> you did. Did it? Was it related to this? I don't know that it was. Okay. That dream after That's what I was scared of. <laughs> See, I was my intuition was right. <laughs> so, um, contemplation of feelings. So, how does one abide contemplating feeling as feelings? Here, when a feeling, a pleasant feeling, one understands, I feel a pleasant feeling, and. When feeling a painful feeling, one understands, I feel a painful feeling. And when feeling a neither painful nor pleasant feeling, one understands, I feel a neither painful nor pleasant feeling. And then it breaks up these feelings from worldly pleasant feeling, I understand, I, I feel a worldly pleasant feeling, and an unworldly pleasant feeling. And then it goes through unpleasant and neither pleasant nor painful and then it goes through unworldly. So, you know, this is one of these remarkable chapters in this entire Pali canon because, you know, it would not make an award for prose or for poetry. You know, it just wouldn't. And yet, in this um, description is, again, it's a very powerful key to unlocking um, quite a lot of complexity. So oftentimes what happens is, is there's contact and then contact, the next thing that happens is feeling. And then with feeling is perception and formations. And then we have this big, huge thing that happens with that. And so if we're just able to move from the big, huge thing back to the feeling, you know, an unpleasant feeling, a pleasant feeling, that's not complicated, you know. So the big story that's connected to it can somehow get... Um, put into perspective or somehow uh, um, it loses some of its juice when rather than being invested in the story, we just bring attention to the feeling underneath the story. And so this, 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 this paragraph here is remarkably powerful in practice for actually understanding how to reduce complexity into something that's a lot simpler. And I would be interested to know how that has been working for you in your own practice. Just looking at something and just, oh, registering this is pleasant or unpleasant. Now, in, in my own in my own experience, because I do have drama queen as part of my fundamental nature, <laughs> I tend to exaggerate it. So if it's I'm having a hard time actually seeing it, then I just make it stronger, you know. So if if it's something unpleasant, you know, I will make I'll make it you know, I'll make my body know that it's really unpleasant, you know, so that I really get it. And likewise if it's pleasant, it's like you know, I, I do the pleasant thing and you know, and I see that the way my body feels with the pleasant thing. It's like and then when I do that, it's easier for me just to bring attention to the mental quality of it. So I've used, I've co-opted Drama Queen and put it to work. 
been very helpful for me to, you know, to help. Just it just helps me get a sense of what's going on and and working with it in a way that is easier to see. Because we miss it. We miss pleasant. We miss unpleasant. We miss it. We go right into the story. So dropping the story, coming back to the feeling, and then it really helps. This one paragraph is phenomenally, phenomenally powerful, even though it's not uh, poetic or something that one would, uh, one would in a contemporary society regard very highly. And then the third foundation of mindfulness is contemplation of mind. And how does one abide contemplating mind as mind? Here, one understands mind affected by lust as a mind affected by lust, and a mind unaffected by lust as a mind unaffected by lust. One understands a mind affected by hate as a mind affected by hate, and a mind unaffected by hate as a mind unaffected by hate. He understands a mind affected by delusion as a mind affected by delusion and a mind unaffected by delusion as a mind unaffected by delusion. One understands contracted mind as contracted mind and distracted mind as distracted mind. One understands exalted mind as exalted mind and unexalted mind as unexalted mind. One understands surpassed mind as surpassed mind and unsurpassed mind as unsurpassed. He understands concentrated mind as concentrated mind and unconcentrated mind as unconcentrated mind. He understands liberated mind as liberated mind and unliberated mind as unliberated mind. And once again, you know, this is not going to be winning in a literary award. And yet in this is a phenomenal, phenomenal key to uh, to freedom because if you if you notice it if you notice what is not said here it doesn't said and one abides contemplating as one understands a mind affected by lust as a mind affected by lust and then one berates worries thrashes changes oneself until one does not feel a mind affected by lust. It doesn't say all of the things that normally happen to us when our minds are affected by lust. Okay? Likewise, a mind affected by hate, there's no judgment. There's absolutely no judgment. Okay? And so what this is saying is is, is that whatever is going on is just known for what it is. And so it starts with the coarser mind states, lust and hate and delusion. And then it moves into um, contracted mind, distracted mind, exalted mind, surpassed, concentrated and liberated. But basically what it's saying is, is that anything that is arising in conscious awareness is to be known for what it is. And in this situation... There isn't a remedy to make it different. It's just the way it is. There's no antidote. There's no remedy. There is no um, uh, seeing that it's not okay or that it should be different. It's just knowing it exactly as it is. Now, one of the reasons why this is so phenomenally important is because we have all kinds of ideas about what we can and cannot 
experience, think, or feel based on our conditioning and based on our sense of self and based on our families and based on our friends and based on our group and based on our gender and based on a gazillion other things that limits our sense of what we can think and feel, what we can know. And this is taking that lid off totally and saying the whole lot goes. Whatever is there needs to be known. And so it has the ability to circumvent our conditioning, which says we cannot feel this, and says just feel it and know it for what it is. That's really important. I mean, it's really, 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 really important. Not only because it cuts across our conditioning in terms of our our families and our friends and our social networks, but because we have very limiting ideas about who we take ourselves to be, and it cuts across those as well. So the phenomenal um, freedom is, is that it moves into the non-duality of mind objects. It's not positing good against bad. It's just saying... If it's a mind object, know it. And without need to change it, to judge it, or to judge oneself for having it. Now, I don't, I don't know if for you that does the same thing as it does for me. But for me, it's like, hallelujah, you know. You know, it's like freedom at last. You know, I can think and feel what I need to think and feel. There's no external criteria to judge it by. What is needed is the ability to know what is present, to watch it arise. So one of the things that this also points to, because this one as well as the other one, it moves into this non-dual way of relating to experience. You know, pleasant is pleasant and unpleasant is unpleasant, but it doesn't posit one as being better than the other. Is is that we need to be able to navigate the world of duality and the non-dual. So in this situation where you're just aware of what's arising without any kind of judgment or making it better, okay, there has got to be a way in which that translates into the world in appropriate behavior and action. So it's not saying that because I anything is okay in my thought, then anything is okay in my behavior, in my speech, in my action. It doesn't do that. It's just saying that these things can arise and be known for what they are but our behavior still needs to be um, contained by the, the boundaries that we have, the five precepts or the eight precepts, or in my case, more precepts. So this is taking us into a realm where the awareness that knows something is free from being colored by what it is knowing But there still is a responsibility to translate that into our relationships, into our behavior, and into our world in a way which is harmless and kind. Are you with me? Yeah. 
So, do you have any questions? Yes, Priyan. So on the feeling side, yes. going to uh, a good feeling or a bad feeling, but then on the mind objects, when you get to that, do you go through the story or do you stop it and then move on to your breathing? Or how do you stop that story from... If you're absorbed into the story, yeah. then you can come back into a simpler frame of reference like just the feeling quality underneath it, which might be pleasant or unpleasant. Uh, so I understand that from the uh, feeling, yes. from the mind objects. If, you're, if you have a, some um, thought of something, right. how do you get out of that? So if the thought then activates a papancha festival, then you can go back to the uh, initial thought. Oh, this is desire or this is anger and just bring your attention fully to bear on the on the uh, on the mood or the emotion or the thought that was underneath the papancha festival because there will be one you know it'll be fear or it'll be desire it'll be anger it'll be something yeah and then focus on that and then it will take the heat out of the story out of this big uh, proliferation festival that goes on around the thought. And then when you identify that, do you go back to the feelings to see where in the body that it's being felt? You can do if that story is still gripping you. But if you're able to be present with the mind object just as a mind object, there's no need to. So the change of frame of reference is useful in order to get more stability with what it is you're experiencing. So, you know, lots of things knock us out of balance, you know, and we're off, you know, we're off. (laughs) And so in order to stay present with what's happening, it depends on how strongly one has been side-swiped, yeah? And so, you know, the choices that one makes in terms of how to place one's attention is a little bit dependent on, you know, what one is actually dealing with and how one's responding to it. But for example, you know, anything strong, it can be absolutely strong. I mean, incredibly strong, but there can just be the clear knowing of it. There's no story. There's just the clear knowing of it. And you don't need to do anything else. But when there isn't the clear knowing, there's the identification, the absorption, and the proliferation around it. Those are all signals that what one is doing, one doesn't have sufficient capacity to be with it. And then one needs to change tax, redirect attention, and do things that give a little bit more perspective and space. But, you know, I mean, I, there have been situations where I was absolutely furious. I mean, furious. And it wasn't like for an hour, but it was like for three weeks, furious. But there was enough presence just to stay with it. And I was on retreat, and I was just walking back and forth on my walking path, letting the fury, knowing it and watching it and letting it subside. It took some time. I was angry. (laughs) But it was, you know, I didn't need to do anything else. I was just with it, just like that, you know. But 
a lot of times I get completely sideswiped by anger. I turned into a complete pretzel and I have got to do all kinds of things in order to untangle the pretzel enough even just to allow it into conscious awareness because I have very strong suppressive mechanisms around anger and I suppress it even before I'm aware that I'm angry. So in that situation, I have to do special kinds of practices in order to give myself permission to feel it because I don't feel it. And that's a whole other topic, and I'll talk a little bit about that tonight. You know, how to unpack some of the stuff that gets so difficult when we get knotted up around it. Okay, harsh thoughts with yourself you've got to be very careful of because the belief in them is actually stronger than the mindfulness that that's what's happening. So part of in our commitment to harmlessness, we need to be very vigilant about those kinds of patterns of thought and not believe them. So if they are arising and you're not believing them, then you don't need to do anything about it. But if there's any tendency to believe it, then you need to really step back and reevaluate the situation and work with it from a different way. Are there other questions? So these uh, these sayings that are useful in identifying where the thoughts come and where the stories arise from those thoughts. Uh, but sometimes you have to create a thought. Like right now, if I just stay focused, I might simply perceive some feelings coming to me or some something happening to my body. But at, at some point, I need to decide. Okay. But tonight I'll be hungry, I need some food. So I need to have plans for us to go and hunt for something. So I have to create a story there. So in our daily life, there's an awful lot of thinking that we need to do in order to get through our lives. All right? And it's true. I mean, even on a retreat, you've got to get your socks on and your clothes washed. And I mean, there's a certain amount of stuff we need to decide. When we go to the toilet, how much we drink water. We have a lot of decisions to make. <laughs> What's that? All that happens to be a story. Some, not the entire story may not be followed, and it may sometimes be followed as a plan. But we there, have to indulge in such stories. Um, well, there's um, a there's a difference between creating a story about getting a glass of water, yeah. and noticing the impulse that one is thirsty and having the intention to move forward. So there's a difference between that and then creating a, a story around the whole thing that then we follow in order to have our, our, our drink of water. Yeah? So, I mean, there, there are times in the day when you can, you can just feel that you're doing something without thinking about it. Like sometimes in the morning when you first get up and wash your face or brush your teeth, there's usually not so much story. Yeah? We're just, we're just getting up and going through kind of a routine. We wash our face, we brush our teeth, and there can be very little thought. Yeah? But how did you do it? 
out of habit. But, but there, it wasn't it wasn't a conceptual process that you engaged with in order to get there. Well, meditation allows that non-conceptual process to increase so that there's less need for thought in the way that we have been used to using it. Yeah. And it just takes a little bit of getting used to in the same way meditating and having this kind of a schedule takes getting used to. It takes a, you know, a few days to settle in for everybody. Yeah. Are there other questions? Yeah. Oh, goodness. First of all, when one makes a commitment to harmlessness, one needs to have some kind of a reflection that we're not going to be doing that. So there needs to be a commitment that we're not going there. Okay? Making the commitment and then not going there are two separate activities. (laughs) But when we actually take the precepts not to harm, that's what we're doing. We're saying, I am making the commitment to no longer engage in harmful processes with myself or with other people. That's the commitment. Now, our habits are not linked up to our commitments. They have their own energy force. But when we recognize that we're engaged in some kind of a harsh thought, particularly towards ourselves, the first thing that's needed is to recognize this is what's happening. This is a harsh thought, and I believe it. Once you have done those two things, then you have a lot more space to be able to negotiate whether what to do with it at that point. But one of the reasons why taking precepts is useful is because it causes a cognitive dissonance with just exactly that situation. Another part of you has made a commitment not to harm. And that other part of you was clear that non-harming was the right way to go. And this is actually believing something which is harmful. And so there's a kind of tension between these two aspects of one's own psyche, one's own mental formations. But when they're both on the table, all right, then they can duke it out. But when they're not both on the table, usually the one that's the stronger is the one that's the harsh one, and that usually runs the scene without any kind of restraint or any kind of, of... of reflection or any kind of stop. It just it just has full run until it wears itself out. But when you're believing it, it's tricky. You know? It really is. It's really tricky. So the soon as that one begins to see, yeah, but there's some doubt or there's some recognition or this is not what I agreed or there's something about this that doesn't feel right even though you're not even sure anymore what it is. That's great. Make a lot of that moment, that window of saying, well, wait a minute here. And then the more you're able to do that, the more you get a toehold into a pattern which has been running for as long as it's been running without check. Now, there's reasons why those patterns are that way. They're not there for no reason. Okay, so it's absolutely not your fault that they're there. But it is now our responsibility to deal with them. You know, so the buck stops here. You know, and that's what the practice is about, is no matter how it got there, the buck stops here. 
Does that help? Yeah, okay. But making determinations with this stuff is also one of the ways that you can get more of a foothold in. So you can wake up in the morning and the first thing in the morning reaffirm your commitment to harmlessness in a very sincere and genuine way. And let your commitment to harmlessness be part of the thing that adds a little bit of a wedge into those patterns. You know? And just make it clear. You want to see this stuff. You don't want to believe this stuff. You want to find another way. And see, see see what happens with that. So determination is one way. Prayer and devotion is another way. Vigilance is another way. And phenomenal kindness when one catches oneself having gone into old patterns that one knows are no longer helpful. You don't need more judgment. Not then. Okay. Are there any other questions? <laughs> 